Whoever said Christianity is for wimps never read the Acts of the Apostles. Dr. Luke tells page-turning stories of fearless people of faith that never allowed a single threat to eclipse their passion for the glory of God. They possessed what I call holy chutzpah. For example, in Acts chapter 4, the early apostles faced strong opposition from politically powerful religious insiders who tried to silence the apostles' right to free speech and religious liberty. <laughs> Sound familiar? Do you need some holy chutzpah? Peter and John replied, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. Hello and welcome into this Friday edition of Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. I'm Brian Davis, thanks for stopping by. If I ask you to name the single greatest threat to the Christian faith, what would you say? You don't need to answer just yet. Instead, think about it for the next few minutes as Ron shares more of his teaching series, AD Acts of the Apostles. Stop by our new digital streaming platform at somethinggoodradio.org to listen to the broadcast on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. You can also subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get yours. From Acts chapter 4, here's Ron with his Something Good Radio message, Holy Hutzpah. Got a question for you this morning. What's the greatest threat to your faith? Let me broaden it a little bit. What's the greatest threat to the Christian faith? Now, some of us might say, well, uh, liberal theology is the greatest threat. And we could have a good conversation about that. Certainly in every generation, we need to uh, uh, fight for the purity of the gospel and contend, contend for the orthodoxy of the faith. Even Jude tells us in his New Testament postcard, he says, uh, we need to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Why? Because in every generation there's, uh, uh, we might say, theological creep, and uh, we, we drift in one direction or the other direction. So that's, a, that's, a, that's a certainly a, a reasonable threat to consider. Others might say um, an oppressive government that wants to take away our religious liberty. That's the greatest threat to our faith. And we could have a good conversation about that one too. Still others might say, uh, no, I think it's complacency in the church that is the greatest threat to our faith, and, and possibly so. Well, we could go on and on maybe answering the question. Here, here's my answer to it. I'll just cut to the chase here. The greatest threat to our faith, in, in my estimation, is fear. Just good old-fashioned fear. Because fear is the antithesis of faith. It's why, you know, over and over again in the Scriptures, and certainly in Jesus' conversations with His disciples, He said to them over and over again, fear not. I mean, it's the most uh, widespread and commonly articulated command in Scripture is to fear not. Why? Because we're, we're so easily given to fear, and fear will eclipse our faith at any moment. So I, I think it's one of the greatest threats to the faith in any generation is that when God's people are taken up 
by fear. Uh, whoever said that Christianity is for wimps never read the book of Acts because what I read in the book of Acts are stories about fearless people, fearless people who went into the first century convinced that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and they never let a single bit of fear, you know, eclipse their passion for that. Now, it wasn't always the case. Let's be honest, the, the, the apostles, the, the disciples, when Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, they were all, you know, a bunch of fearful cowards. They ran into the dark of the night and, and ran away. And even Peter, who followed Jesus all the way to Caiaphas' house as, as he was warming himself next to the uh, open fire pit there, and somebody challenged him, hey, weren't you with the Galilean? Weren't you with this Jesus? He was all caught up in fear, denied Jesus three times, even, you know, dropped a cuss word in there. He was full of fear. But the Peter we read about in the book of Acts is, is full of, uh, well, holy chutzpah, I mean, boldness. There's not a bit of fear in him. And, and you got to ask yourself the question, what changed between the Peter on the night Jesus was arrested and later crucified and the Peter that we read about in Acts chapter 4? Let's pick it up in chapter 4, and uh, chapter 4 continues the story of chapter 3. Last time, if you remember, Peter and John were heading to the temple uh, at the ninth hour to pray, and, and they get there, and there's this lame beggar sitting outside the temple begging for alms, as he's been doing for years and years and years. And uh, they make eye contact with him, and, and they have a conversation with him, and they heal the man. And, and he goes from being a lame beggar to... Uh, walking and talking and jumping up and down and praising God, and he makes his way into the temple and, and creates not a small uproar. And all the people, the heads are turning, and they're like, what's going on here? And, and, and they finally you know, gather around Peter and John and all that. Well, chapter 4 continues, and it says, as they were speaking to the people, Peter and John, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they attest, arrested them, rather, and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Now, what was happening in the early chapters of the book of Acts and with the early church was nothing less than a, a, a spiritual movement that had great momentum. On the day of Pentecost, you remember, 3,000 people came to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Uh, now by chapter 4, just two chapters later, the number is up to 5,000 men, not to mention their wives and their families. Multiply that, you've probably got a church uh, close to 15,000 people by Acts chapter 4. I mean, this, this movement is uncontained, and it's beginning to threaten the religious leaders. And when they begin to, and when they hear about this, this lame beggar who is healed, uh, they conspire with themselves, and they come together and, and uh, try to come against Peter and John and the apostles, threatening them, opposing them. Uh, the early church faced intense opposition from at least three sources, and they're, and they're mentioned here in uh, verse 1, it says that the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees uh, came upon them. Uh, the priests, of course, were responsible for daily worship 
and had great influence over the people. Uh, the temple guard, the captain of the temple guard, he was sort of like the chief of police. You know, the temple had some treasures that needed to be guarded, and it had a, a, a guard force. Uh, this, this could have been uh, people that came to even arrest Jesus there in the Garden of Gethsemane, some of them. But, you know, when the captain of the temple guard shows up, it's like the chief of police knocking on your front door. It's not a good day, you know, when that happens. And then with that, the Sadducees, uh, uh, they, they, they made up a portion of the Sanhedrin, which is, you know, sort of like uh, the religious congress, okay? The Sanhedrin were uh, religious aristocrats, very wealthy, uh, politically uh, powerful, uh, they didn't believe in the supernatural. They were sort of like deists in the uh, early stages of, of uh, the American Revolution, that they believed in a supreme being, but they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead and the afterlife and all those supernatural things. And, and these this are three groups of religious people that came against Peter and John. Intense opposition. By the way, in my 20-plus years in ministry, the greatest opposition I've ever faced is from religious people. And it shouldn't be surprised because this, this goes all the way back to the first century. Now, we're beginning to face a little bit more opposition from the culture, but sad to say, a lot of opposition comes from within the circles of religious life. The priests and the temple guard and the Sadducees and all them rise up against Peter and John. They're threatened by some of the things that are happening, and they amp up their own threats and their own opposition. It says in verse 3 that they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. I just imagine the text message that Peter sends to his wife and his family, uh, honey, I'm going to be a little bit late tonight, thrown in prison, hug the kids, I'll be home as soon as I can. You know, it's just one of those days. And it says they threw them in prison, interesting, until the next day, for it was already evening. Why? Because Jewish law... Uh, forbid any trials at night, okay? Well, they tried Jesus at night uh, because they were so uh, intent on rejecting Jesus and getting Him up on the cross that they cast aside their own Jewish laws during that time. But now they're back at following their Jewish laws. Uh, they find it convenient to put Peter and John in prison, and we pick it up in verse 5. It says, On the next day their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. Uh, you may remember that it was Caiaphas who was the high priest during the time of Jesus. And uh, the Bible tells us that when Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, they first took him to Annas. Annas was Caiaphas's father-in-law, and he was sort of the mafia don. The, the, the office of high priest had become highly political uh, with the Jews and the Romans and all that, and Annas held that position for many, many years until he fell out of political favor, but somehow still maintained control, and he passed on the office of high priest to his kids, and eventually to his son-in-law, Caiaphas. Annas was the one who held the uh, franchise, we might say, on uh, the, the sale of animals at the temple. When you came to worship at one of the feasts and you, know, you walked into the temple, you had to have your animal with you, uh, that spotless lamb. Well, Caiaphas conveniently sold them. He had the franchise to that. You may remember that when Jesus overturned the money changers and you know, all of that, well, he took a direct shot at, at Annas's you know, bottom line. Uh, 
and his franchise business. And so when Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, they first took him to Annas, I just call him the Mafia Don, <laughs> and then to Caiaphas. Well, they're back at it again. There's, there's Annas, there's Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, probably extended members of Annas's family. They're controlling all of this. They're the intimidation force. And they're going to deliver all kinds of intimidation and threats against Peter and John. Verse 7, and when they had set them in the midst, they inquired. Now comes the inquisition. By what power or by what name did you do this? Can you imagine such arrogance, you know? I mean, here it is, a spiritual movement where tens of thousands of people are now following the risen Christ. And they're so intimidated and so threatened by it. Verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Way to go, Peter. Holy chutzpah, Batman. I mean, where did he come up with this? Is this the same Peter who denies Jesus three times, warming his hands next to the little fire pit outside of Caiaphas's house, as cowardly as cowardly can be, now Peter, after having been thrown in prison, comes out and speaks truth to power. Do you have enough holy chutzpah, enough holy boldness to speak truth to power when the situation comes your way? Don't go away. We'll be right back with more of Dr. Ranjan's message, Holy Hutzpah. If you're new to the program, we'd like you to know that all of Ron's messages are archived at our website, somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. When you stop by, use the Partner tab at the top of the homepage to check out the 828 Club. It's a special group of people who partner with Ron so that he can keep sharing the truth of God's Word the whole year through. Join the 828 Club right from our website or feel free to give us a call at 757-276-1099. Again, that number is 757-276-1099. On the night Jesus was taken into custody, Peter was more fearful than faithful. He denied knowing Jesus three times. But the Peter we see in Acts chapter 4 is positively fearless. Here's Ron with the rest of today's Something Good radio message, Holy Hutzpah. You know, I know Jesus told us to count the cost when following him, but he never told us to consider the consequences. And it takes boldness to live that way, to cast consequences aside and just live for Jesus and speak for Jesus. Peter was thrown in prison. You know, uh, honey, I'll be home when I can. All right, I mean, the, the consequences are irrelevant to him because he's so convinced 
of the risen Christ. Uh, anytime the early apostles speak, they aren't far from Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I love what Peter says in verse 12. If you've not memorized this verse of Scripture, you need to commit it to memory. This is one of those uh, Scripture memory verses. Hide it in your heart because this is so important to have right at the, uh, the edge of your, your lips. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. You know, Peter gets a few uh, pokes in the eye, a few kicks in the chest. You know, he says, uh, you crucified him. Uh, God raised him from the dead. Uh, this is the stone that was rejected by you. And let's make no mistake about it. There's no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved than the name Jesus, who is the Christ. Again, that's, that's some holy chutzpah. That's some holy boldness. And, and you, you, can't, you can't read tone in the black and white pages of Scripture. Having chutzpah and boldness for Jesus doesn't mean you have to be ugly with people. He just speaks truth. I, I want to suggest rather calmly speaking truth to power and just lets it sit where it is. Well, the reaction is predictable. Verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, uh, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and, and we can't deny it. But in order that we may spread, that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Uh, let me rewind that and read that again. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. People have been trying to silence free speech for 2,000 years, and free speech that gives way to you know, religious liberty. And don't think it's strange, friends, that we're living in the same time. Uh, we have enjoyed uh, these United States of America and embedded in our, you know, Constitution and Declaration of Independence and our Bill of Rights and all that, uh, this idea of the freedom of speech. But now we have people labeling some speech as, as bad, you know, as, as hate speech. Anytime you start to single out some type of speech as bad and you say you can't do that, you've lost free speech. Free speech is either free or it's not. And um, obviously the apostles were not, you know, advocating for, you know, uh, our constitution and all of that. But free speech and religious liberty go hand in hand. And we're living at a time when people are trying to silence free speech and uh, trying to silence and, and take back and, and uh, uh, remove uh, some of our religious liberties. And what I'm just suggesting to us all today is it's going to take some holy chutzpah, some holy boldness from the church of Jesus Christ to stand up, to not be ugly. You don't have to be ugly, but to speak truth to power. And this is what uh, Peter models for us 
so beautifully. Verse 18, so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to listen to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. You know, they just went to their eyewitness you know, reports here. Christianity, friends, is not based upon um, circumstantial evidence. It's based on, on eyewitness reports. When you don't have an eyewitness in a court of law, then you have to work with circumstantial evidence and, you know, you can build your case and, you know, get to a guilty or not guilty based upon reasonable doubt and all that. But when you, oh, what, what a prosecutor or a defense attorney wants is an eyewitness. Because an eyewitness who saw this with their own eyes is stronger than any case built upon circumstantial evidence. Christianity, friends, and this gives us confidence, it gives us a little chutzpah, is not based on circumstantial evidence. It's based on uh, the record of the eyewitnesses who saw the risen Christ and then wrote down their story and their account. You're listening to Something Good Radio with Dr. Ron Jones. Today's message, Holy Hutzpah, along with all of Ron's messages, can be heard on demand at somethinggoodradio.org. Just use the radio tab at the top of the homepage. That's somethinggoodradio.org. And while you're there, be sure to check out Dr. Ron Jones' discipleship coaching experience, Starting Point, A Disciple's First Steps. In Starting Point, Ron takes you back to the fundamentals of the Christian faith and helps equip you to fulfill the Great Commission by making disciples of others. That's Starting Point, A Disciple's First Steps. To find Starting Point, A Disciple's First Steps, look for Something Good courses when you visit somethinggoodradio.org. Have you ever wanted to visit the land of the Bible and walk in the footsteps of Jesus? Join Dr. Ron and Catherine Jones and the Something Good Radio team for a thrilling Israel tour happening in January 2022. Experience a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. Walk down the Via Dolorosa. Visit Gethsemane where Jesus prayed and Calvary where he shed his blood for you. Step inside the empty tomb and see for yourself that your Savior is risen indeed. Is the Holy Land on your bucket list? Experience Israel 2022. Register at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. To make a reservation or to get more information on our trip to the Holy Land, look for Something Good Travel when you visit somethinggoodradio.org. Something Good is a listener-supported ministry, 100% dependent on your prayers and financial support. And when you give today, we'd like to offer you the complete audio download of the series you're hearing now, A.D. Acts of the Apostles. That's all 19 messages in Ron's teaching series, A.D. Acts of the Apostles. This content is available for a limited time to our monthly partners or for anyone who sends a gift today. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org. Mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456 or call our offices at 757-276-1099. I just say when you're looking for some holy chutzpah, make sure you're standing on the Word of God in terms of how he has revealed himself. And you'll always find boldness there. 
I've found over the years that even in preaching, uh, my boldness increases in direct proportion to where how closely I stick to the Word of God. If I drift into personal opinion and all that, I, I'm not as bold. I'm not as confident, okay? But I can stand on the Word of God. I can stand on what He says. And I can always know that I'm praying the will of God when I pray the Word of God, as, as they did here. Their, their prayers were dripping in Scripture and in their understanding of who God was and how He revealed Himself and how He works in today's world. I think this contributed to their boldness. So if you're looking for some holy chutzpah, if you're looking for some holy boldness, pray for boldness, tether yourself to the Word of God, and then thirdly, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's next time when Ron shares part two of his message, Holy Chutzpah. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.